We've all done it as investors. Even the great Warren Buffett has done it. In fact, Mr. Buffett bought the whole airline sector a few years ago. What is it, the it I speak of? The it is buying a stock based on valuation or it being cheap, only to be massively disappointed in the stock returns going forward. The subject of this week's podcast is, is it a value stock or a value trap? I'm Chris Paris with Oak Harvest Financial Group here in Houston, and welcome to our weekly Stock Talk podcast. Before we get into this week's topic of value traps, please take a moment to click on the subscribe button and click on the notification bell so you'll be alerted when our team uploads new content. First off, almost everyone has a different definition of what a value stock is. Let's come to an agreement for this video that it's a stock that is cheaply priced versus its own history or versus the overall market on a price to earnings or PE basis, price to cash flow, or price to book value basis. Most of the time, Value stocks trade at low multiples of earnings, cash flow, or book value because they have little promise of future growth. They have little ability to innovate or they can't control their costs. However, I argue that value drops can occur to companies that appear to be healthy and are growing even if the company has been successful, having experienced rising revenue, profits, and share price for years. It can fall into situation or it's a value trap in one's portfolio. There are all sorts of criteria that one can look at to minimize the number of value traps stagnating or hurting your portfolio returns. However, the number one factor that I found is a company's marginal ROIC. So what does ROIC stand for? It stands for return on invested capital. And what should an investor look for? They should look to see if incremental cash return for a company is going up or down. In other words, is the cash a company is generating being invested in the business helping or hurting marginal or incremental growth and marginal returns? Is it adding to or subtracting from a company's own historical investment returns? In almost every case I've looked at, it's turned out to be that simple. Whether I saw the dynamic before, during, or after it was happening. I'm not gonna get into the balance sheet, income statement, and cash flow analysis for this video, no, I'm gonna to try to keep this lesson as simple as possible. Is it almost as easy as asking yourself, are things getting better or worse? Or are they stable or consistent? I'm gonna keep this big picture and qualitative. I'm gonna to go to reference three examples of time periods that produced a mass number of value traps. I wanna keep this qualitative. I know some people will argue that these stocks just got overvalued and the market took years to lower their valuation. Or the other way around, it took years for earnings to grow into its valuation. I know some people will argue that these stocks just got overvalued and the market took years to lower their valuation. Or another way around, it took years for earnings to grow into its valuation. I would argue that the market was smarter than that during each of these periods and saw through whatever story the company was telling. Time frame example one, the internet bubble and Y2K 1998 through 2000. The poster child for a value trap that time period created was Microsoft. I know, I know. You say, Chris, what are you talking about? Microsoft is a behemoth and now has a market cap of over $2 trillion. Well, in the 1980s through around 2010, Microsoft was one thing and one thing only, a desktop PC software company. And if you were around back in the go-go internet build-out years of the late 1990s in the Y2K panic spending tsunami, you would remember 
this. If you were a computer or networking equipment company and you had it in stock on the shelves, you sold it. Salespeople didn't have to sell. They were merely order takers, fielding a flood of inbound calls. Consultants had convinced the entire Fortune 500 and other businesses that unless they replaced all their computers, the world would stop. And Microsoft was a huge beneficiary of Y2K fear and the internet buildouts, and their revenue accelerated to over 30% in both 1999 and the year 2000. However, it turned out that the world didn't collapse and every computer didn't stop and crash on January 1st, 2000. In fact, companies mostly pulled forward years of hardware and software purchases. From 2001 through 2010, Microsoft's revenue growth dropped first into the high teens, then the mid teens, and then into the mid single digits through 2010. As their revenue growth slowed, what did Microsoft do? They did what most growth companies do, and they took much of that additional revenue growth and some of its incremental cash, and they invested it in a myriad of projects and sectors that were supposed to reaccelerate their overall business. Most of these programs were not successful enough to move the needle. And the ones that were successful, all were less profitable than Microsoft's original software business model. The market was smart enough to see this peak in marginal ROIC all the way back in 2000. It wasn't until the new Microsoft Cloud Azure suite business took off and Microsoft shareholders were rewarded. For the 12 years in between peak bubble and the cloud computing wave, Microsoft investors were stuck in a value trap and better off indexing your money in the S&P 500, which is always the alternative for a long-term equity investor. The second period that one can look back on and see the creation of industry-wide value traps was the end of the bull market for energy and commodity stocks in 2008. Recall that commodities had a seven or eight year bull run as China built out infrastructure into June 2008 Summer Olympics. On the back of that furious demand from 2005 on, almost every energy and commodity company announced massive multi-year CapEx spending programs. These weren't easy and fast shovel-ready projects. They weren't small, flip the switch, $1 million corporate spends that would bring on additional capacity in a month or two. These projects and expansions were billion dollar, multi-year, greenfield, and expansion projects. The true final cost, timing, and cash flow returns on these investments would not be known for years. In investors and in the market's mind, this is cash out with zero reliability, accuracy, or precision in estimating future cash investment returns. There's almost no large public investor that I know of that are willing or able to take on this unknown investment return. So what do they do? They sell the stock and they invest elsewhere until the return on those investments are closer or more clear. They do that or they index that part of the money. Here's a chart of Chevron, arguably the best run of the larger integrated oil companies. One can see that once the large capital expenditures started, the stock peaked and started to underperform the S&P 500. It didn't matter that oil recovered back to $125 a barrel almost immediately post the great financial crisis. Chevron stock and almost every other energy and commodity name out there still underperformed the S&P 500 from 2010 through 2020 because they had all committed billions of shareholder dollars to projects 
with no cash flow visibility. And look when Chevron stock bottomed versus the overall markets. It was after oil traded at negative $34 per barrel in June of 2020, and management teams laid off hundreds of employees and canceled billions of dollars in expansion plans. That was the pivot in the entire industry's marginal return on cash and investment. Which brings me to today, the third example. Retrospectively, it is now pretty clear to me and many others that the COVID epidemic pulled forward many areas of demand and growth, not by quarters, but by years. This is problematic for many companies' future marginal return on investment. I repeat the word marginal, as these companies have passed peak revenue growth with impossible comparables. Think companies like Peloton or Teladoc. Many COVID pandemic beneficiaries decided to take their COVID windfall and ramp up hiring or capital expenditures at much higher rates than they were at pre-pandemic, all in the name of investing in future growth. Of course, this aggressive spending strategy creates the likelihood of creating a value trap even more quickly as the company is ramping expenses just as revenue growth is slowing. Recent areas and sectors that have seen this dynamic play out in the last 12 months include online gaming and media streaming. Almost everyone who invests in single stocks at some point in their life will invest in a value trap or two. Even great investors like Warren Buffett have done it. Early recognition of value traps potential comes from one, recognizing if a company is at near or peak incremental revenue growth, two, if they're at or near operating profit margin peak, or three, if they're at the beginning of a historically aggressive spending program for the company or the industry the company operates in. All three of these factors are indicators that the company's peak return on invested capital may be behind them. Remember that spending as an investment by the company can be in the form of either hiring bodies or ramping capital expenditures to invest for future growth opportunities in the markets. The markets almost never care which spending excuse it is. In the eyes of shareholders, cash is cash in its eyes. Of course, our goal as single stock investors is to minimize the number of value traps that trip us up over time. The Oak Harvest team is far from perfect. No investor is. Our methodology tries to avoid value traps altogether. But when we recognize them, our goal is to minimize their portfolio effect and to move on to other investments with stable or accelerating marginal investment returns. At Oak Harvest, we think our clients are best served by us helping them plan for their future needs and risks instead of focusing on the past. The future is always uncertain, and that is why our advisors and retirement planning teams plan for your retirement needs first and your greed second. Call us here at 877-896-0040. We're here to help you on your financial journey into and through your retirement years. I'm Chris Paris, and from everyone here at Oak Harvest, have a great weekend. All content contained within Oak Harvest Podcast expresses the views of the speaker and is for informational purposes only. It is based on information believed to be reliable when created, but any cited data, indicators, statistics, or other sources are not guaranteed. The views and opinions expressed herein may change without notice. Strategies and ideas discussed may not be right for you, and nothing in this podcast should be considered as personalized investment, tax or legal advice, or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell securities. 
Indexes such as the S&P 500 are not available for direct investment and your investment results may differ when compared to an index. Specific portfolio actions or strategies discussed will not apply to all client portfolios. Investing involves the risk of loss and past performance is not indicative of future results.